Well, this morning I have the great pleasure and privilege to uh, introduce a good friend of mine. His name is Amos Shelley. And now I'll try not to pump your tires up here too much, and you're just going to hate all of this, and that's part of the fun. Um, uh, Amos and I met a couple of years ago, maybe it was three years ago. We met, uh, the denomination that we were working for flew uh, a handful of um, uh, pastors and ministry leaders from across the country to Calgary so that we could talk about some next generation strategy. And I was facilitating the conversation for the group, and we had a uh, probably about 10 or 12 people <clears throat> in that room. And, and it was a room of experience. There was a couple of PhDs in that room. There was really nobody who didn't have 10 or 15 or more years of experience in ministry. And, um, and we're sitting here having this conversation. And Amos, I don't know, for the first half day, I don't remember you talking at all. But then it just turned into every time Amos said something... He said something that literally nobody in the room was thinking about. And you could tell that because he would say something and nobody knew how to react to it. Uh, and as we progressed over the three days, we found ways to sort of start to get people to think more about that. And I just, I was put back by the wisdom and the insight that Amos was beginning to share in all the areas uh, that he was sharing it. And we were able to start a friendship there. Uh, have uh, We had a big conversation about church in a field, uh, at a, which actually, just so you know, this church is in a field. Um, so we've accomplished it. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, we've uh, had a, a lot of conversations about a lot of things. And so this morning, Amos is going to uh, come up here. I'm, I'm not sure exactly what he's going to do. It's going to be interactive. I know you're going to be excited. Then a little later, we're going to get together and we're just going to talk about storytelling and how to tell the story of Jesus. Well, um, I'm really, really excited uh, to introduce him to you. He's got experience, extensive experience in ministry. He now uh, runs a business called Chasing Lion, where he's helping other ministry leaders grow in their ability to tell the story. He's incredibly artistic. I'm not going to plug your Instagram, but you should go follow it. Um, and uh, we're really, really excited. So we're doing a lot of clapping this morning, but I would invite you to do it one more time to welcome my good friend, Amos Shelley. I do remember Mike being a Bruins fan. That's a shame. How's everybody doing? Good. So yes, my name is Amos. Uh, I actually live in Bruce County. Um, so my drive, speaking of fields, I drove through a lot of them this morning, and they were awful. Um, so if, I, I made a joke that you guys don't know winter the way we know winter, but this was winter down here, so uh, congratulations. Um, my, my, I have three kids. I have a wife. Um, my wife works for the Catholic School Board as a, as a social worker. My little guy, Judah, he's seven. He was really sad. Because uh, he usually comes to church with me. Uh, I'm currently interim leading at a little church in uh, Thornbury, uh, part-time, kind of like what Mike's doing, but this is much, uh, much larger. Um, and I'm really excited. I'm really honored to be here. I'm really excited to be here, so thank you for the invitation. The thing about me is I'm, I'm used to, I grew up with, with children's ministry. Like, that's where I started. That's where I, I kind of cut my teeth. And I learned really, really quickly that uh, kids don't like lecturing. I was going to do my master's, and I would, you know, pontificate on the 
the laws of whatever Israel, whatever, in this lecturing format. And I realized kids don't, kids don't care about that. But it's my job to do the kids' ministry. So I really quickly transitioned into stories, how to tell stories. And I started with kids, about 12 kids. And then I got a job at a church. And again, I started with kids from, from the, literally the basement. And opportunity and whatever happened that I, I kind of absorbed through lots of reasons, more and more people. So junior high and senior high, and then, you know, I was soon the family pastor. And I realized, you know what? I'm just going to treat everybody like kids. So I, that's what I do. So you have to forgive me. I'm going to treat you like your children. Not children like Chuck E. Cheese children. That's, I think, sometimes what, what people get confused. Childhood. I want to help facilitate and bring out the child in you, the childhood of you. So what, what, that, what that means is that I just need your participation. That's all. If you feel like it's a little bit silly, uh, that's okay. That's actually kind of the point. And all I'm going to try and invite you to do is just to invite you into the story of Jesus. Now this story comes from Mark. It's not my story. It's God's story of how he reveals himself and how he revealed himself to us through people like us. And this story comes from Mark chapter 4. So you can turn to your Bibles there if you want to. Mark chapter 4, and it's a very, very famous story. One of my most famous stories from Mark. Now, I really love Mark because Mark just shows Jesus in a really, like, human way. A really beautiful, raw, human way. And this is one of my favorite stories of Mark. But in order to go there, we have to imagine that we're standing by the shores of Galilee. I have not had the, the privilege of going there, but it's a small lake. It's like 14 kilometers wide. There's kind of mountains all in the background, and it's daytime. And you can see kind of the, the, the green and the, the yellows of the hills in the background. And kind of all along the lake, there's these dotted little houses and fishing huts and villages. And there's people all around, around and we're on the shores of Galilee. But there's something that's happening. There's this crowd of people. There's always a crowd. Always a crowd near Jesus. And this crowd of people is squishing and getting closer and closer and closer to the lake. So first participation, I just need to get as close to your people that you're sitting beside as you can. Just squish up, snuggle up nice and close. Some are leaning. Okay, that's okay. And you see this crowd gathering. And then you see, oh, on the edge of the crowd is Jesus. He's there. By this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has already cast out demons, he's healed people, he's taught with authority, he's rattled the Pharisees, he has this crowd, and this crowd that's gathering, they can whisper and they're saying, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, Jesus is here, he's here again, he's here again. And these people get closer and closer and closer to Jesus and the crowd gets bigger and bigger and bigger, so snuggle up even closer and tighter to the people beside you. Now you may have to actually move to get switched. I see a brother and sister pushing each other, that's beautiful. That's what it'd be like, this crowd gets... Bigger and bigger and bigger. And in this crowd are all kinds of people. You have rich people and poor people and young people and old people. You have people that are there that are curious. You have people who are there that have been healed by Jesus. They're excited to see him again. There's people there who are, are just witnessing this for the first time. There's educated people there. There's illiterate people there. There's frail people. There's questing people. There's happy people. There's widows. There's widowers. There's families. Every kind of person you can think of is in this crowd. This is the biggest crowd that had gathered around Jesus so far. And this crowd is getting so big that they are pushing Jesus closer into the water itself. And so Jesus motions over. He says, Peter, 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 Peter. 
by, by now Peter's like his kind of his, his right-hand man, kind of the leader of the, of the early kind of assortment of disciples. He says, Peter, get me a boat. So Peter whispers to Andrew. Andrew runs back and gets the family boat. They pull the boat close to shore. And then Jesus does something that he's kind of done before. He, he hops into the bow of the boat. You can, you can feel the boat kind of rocking as he steps in and he straddles the front of the boat. So now he's got some distance from the crowd, and across his whole horizon of the shore, he can see people, 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 an ocean of people. But Jesus, I don't know what kind of shape he was in. Who's ever tried to stand up in a canoe before? Okay? These fishing boats are not huge. They maybe can fit 12 people. They're mobile. They're, they're, they're nimble. They're not big boats, and, and the, the lake is not a small lake. So I bet you there's waves, and Jesus is standing on the front of the bow, and if you want to do this, especially kids, if there's brave people that want to stand up with me and pretend that you're just kind of on the bow of the boat, and give your, your quads a little bit of a flex as you rock back and forth. Yeah, we got someone in the back. Good, that's good. There you go. Everybody, come on, let's stand up. Let's stand up just for one second. We're, we're being like, we're following Jesus. We're being like our Lord and Savior, right? We're going to just flex, and we're just going to rock, okay? How long do you think you can do that? Who said a couple hours? My goodness. Wow. I can maybe make 15 minutes. I had a knee injury a couple years ago. I don't know if I could hold up very long. Jesus, you guys can grab a seat. Good for you. Congratulations. Jesus, he's, he's doing this for 15 minutes. He passes me. Half an hour, an hour, two hours. And he is preaching and teaching from, from the boat, looking out to this crowd, and every ear is listening to him. And he's talking about farmers and seeds and parables, these rich, like, beautiful pieces of, of visual art that these people are listening to. Stories. Jesus is just rolling out story after story as he's rocking in this boat. And the people are listening, and the disciples are listening. But the day goes on, and on, and on, and on. And now it's lunchtime, and lunch passes in the afternoon, and soon it's later afternoon. And the disciples, they're growing hungry men. They're getting hungry. They're getting tired. Jesus is getting tired. And as the sun starts to, to crest and starts to fall, Jesus wraps up his sermon. He says, okay, that's enough for the day. And so the crowd, this big, giant crowd, as quickly as it came together, it splinters apart. And Jesus says to his disciples, he says, okay, let's take a break. I'm tired, you're tired, let's go to the other side of the lake. So Peter, absolutely, Jesus, let's, I am done, I'm peopled out, we're hungry, we're tired, Let's go, let's find a remote place, let's camp, let's have a nice light camp out on the beach. That would, be, that would be amazing. Good idea, Jesus. And so, Peter, this is where I need you to pretend that your row or your family is a boat, okay? One of you has to be Peter. Now, that's whoever's the loudest person, I'm going to assume, in your family, the most bossy, because Peter is a really bossy person. Who's the bossiest of the family? Okay, you're the Peter. What Peter says, he says, he's like, He's barking out the orders. He says, okay, get the boat, lower the sails, tie up the ropes. Peter, shout to your boat. There you go. <laughs> up with the sails, got to pivot that boat around. He says, Andrew, 
uh, James pushes out. Peter's barking the orders. Jesus is in the boat, and the boat kind of pushes off, but you have to hoist your sail. So someone in your group, lift up your arm. You are now the sail. Somebody. If you don't do this, your boat doesn't go anywhere. So there you go. Now, the rest of you just, get a little, just breathe a little bit on that sail. Give a little bit of a push. Beautiful. You guys are doing really well. Have you ever done this before in a sermon? No, probably not. But you're doing really, really well. The boat starts to move. It's a beautiful night. The sun is setting. The sky is blue. The water is like shimmering. There's a little bit of a rock, but it is a beautiful, perfect night for sailing. And after Peter has kind of barked out the orders, and they're out on the water, and they're starting to glide to the other side, they all just kind of relax. Jesus, in particular, he falls asleep. Now remember, he'd been standing all day. He is exhausted. And the disciples look back, and they just kind of grin. Oh, Jesus, he's sleeping. And he's sleeping on a sandbag that was used for the ropes and the mast. And he's not a very comfortable spot to sleep, but, but that's where he is, curled up like a cat in the back of the boat. Well, they start sailing and they start gliding. But the thing about the lake, the Sea of Galilee, is it is a very violent and tumultuous and a very violent but tumultuous lake. And they know that. And so Peter sees, okay, there's some clouds coming off in the distance, boys. Just this. Be aware, just be ready. And the wind just keeps pushing them along. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, wind picks up. Strong wind. And Peter shouts out, tie down the ropes. Tie down the ropes. The mast gets pushed a little bit. Where's your mast? You, you drop all your mast. He pushes a little bit. And the boat starts to lean and rock a little bit. These, this, remember, this boat is pretty small, and the wind just keeps pushing and pushing, and it's starting to get a little bit rough. Nothing Peter hasn't seen before. Nothing Andrew hasn't seen before. They're professional fishermen. They've been out on the water a million times. This is, this is old hat to them. And so they're just kind of bracing themselves. But the storm continues. The wind gets stronger. The, the cloud starts to cover over with darkness. And now they're getting a little bit afraid because the boat starts to rock up and down and side to side. And the waves start lapping on the side of the boat. And I, can, I bet you, Peter, I can imagine Peter starting to feel, okay, this is a little bit more intense. We're starting to get a little, a little bit more upset. And as soon as he starts to feel comfortable, the wind continues to push even harder on this boat. And now the mass is starting to really tip. And it's starting to rock. And the whole boat is rocking frontwards, backwards, sideways. So in your boats... Mast up, start to rock all different directions, and Peter is going to shout out, lower the sails, lower the sails, take it down. Now we're getting dangerous, boys. Grab onto something. Sidebar, I love to lake surf, okay? I surf Lake Huron, and it's a lot of fun. And there's, when wind changes direction, you can get waves hitting you from either side. There's no way to predict which way the waves are coming. And on the Sea of Galilee, that's what this is. Choppy, sharp edge, white cap waves hitting them in every direction. And Peter, I can't imagine Peter living on the shore of Galilee and not knowing fishermen who had died on this lake. Not knowing his friends, maybe his own family, capsizing and drowning in this small little lake like that. 
professional fishermen. Now Peter's getting really anxious. Now they all think, boy, this, this may be it. The water's surging over, over the side of the boat. It's rocking them back and forth. Their tiny little boat is bobbing up and down on these sharp-edged waves, and they all think it's over. We're going to die out here. Peter's like, I'm going to die on this lake. And they turn around, and they see Jesus is still asleep. He's still sleeping. And so as the surge of this water is splashing and the darkness is overhead and the boat is rocking back and forth, I can imagine it's probably Peter. All these other guys, all these other disciples, they're not pro fishermen like Peter. They're probably clutching for dear lives, holding on to the side or the mass and they're maybe throwing up. They're terrified. They're scared. But Peter, he makes his way somehow to the back of the boat and as he does, there's a, a deep guttural fear dropping in his stomach. I am not going to die out here on this lake. And here, this rabbi, who we chosen to follow, he's just going to let us die? And he reaches over to Jesus and he, he bends down and he sees Jesus fast asleep and he says, wake up! Wake up! Don't you care that we are about to drown? And Jesus, woken from a deep slumber, I can imagine he kind of stares up at Peter with bewilderment. And he stares at his disciples as the boat's kind of rocking. And you can imagine the hair, his hair filled with water and his beard kind of matted to his face. And he's been rudely awakened from this sleep. And he says this. He says, quiet. Settle down. Arm raised, looks to the sky. Quiet. Settle down. And then he turns to his disciples. And I love this, because this, this is Mark. This is so, so good. Jesus reprimanded the disciples. Why are you such cowards? Why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith at all? And they were in absolute awe, staggered. Who is this? They asked. To the wind and the sea at his beck and call. Why are you such cowards? Don't you have any faith? And he scolds them. For not two hours before, Jesus had just laid out the kingdom of God and explained it to all these disciples, and they knew they were supposed to know who Jesus was and what he was about. And yet when push came to shove, when fear stood in their, in their face, it all melted away. Why are you so afraid? Quiet. Be still. Now, my friends, what's beautiful about this story is it's a simple question. It's a question I ask myself, I was asking myself this morning. A question that we can ask ourselves in this very strange and challenging time. 
I said to my wife the other day that, you know, what's happening in the world? It seems like our world is literally coming apart. And it's really, really easy to look at those sharp razor edge chop waves coming in over our boat and saying, Jesus, where are you? How can you sleep through this? And he would say to us, why are you so afraid? Who is in your boat? Who is in our boat? It's Jesus. The king. The son. The one who has dominion over time and space. The one who is there from the foundations of the universe. Who in, invoke this kingdom on earth that we are participants of. Is Jesus. Jesus is in our boat. I don't think Jesus is saying you shouldn't be afraid. Or their fear is a bad thing. Or there's never a time to feel anxiety. But we can have trust. Even when there seems to be no reason to trust. Because Jesus is in our boats. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this opportunity that I've I've had to share this story this morning. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are present in our boat. In our individual boats, our family boats, our, our, our country, our province. That no matter how rocky the waves get, no matter how choppy the waves get, no matter how dark the storm clouds seem to be. Even if you seem like you're not present, you are. And we can rest assured that you in the back of the boat sleeping is better than, than you not being there at all. And Jesus, I pray that we would have trust in you. We would trust in your voice. And that we would be active participants in the world around us and not be crippled by the fear. And I pray that specifically for myself. So Jesus, I ask for this uh, a blessing on this morning in your name. Amen. So, um, a little different, but we had Amos here. And so what we thought is we would just, uh, uh, just have a conversation for a few minutes here and just kind of talk about, I think, just kind of let people in on some of the conversations that we have. You know, I call you to say, hey, how you doing? We end up on the phone for an hour and a half. <laughs> so this is stuff that we talk about all the time. So I thought, you know, sometimes these are kind of fun. Um, today's sermon was a, a lot different. We're not, it's not, you know, your three-point big historical. You're not translating Greek. It was really just a story, but I think, you know, whether it was from participation or, you know, even just you started that story with so many visuals. I felt like by the time we were getting into it, I knew and I felt what it was like. Why, why when we're teaching about our Bible stories about Jesus, why is that your approach? Why is that so important to you to kind of get people in that moment, and, and how did you kind of come around to this place where we're just going to treat everybody like they have the hearts of a child? Let's get everybody in on it. That's a good question. Uh, I, was, I was confused. I was trying to make a Bruin joke. Mike, I get off, I, I sit down, he's like, you know, there's a lot of Bruin fans here. <laughs> like, that's what you took from my story. <laughs> uh, anyway, Mike, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, well, two things. The one is, like, why, why 
why tell stories, why, why treat people like children, uh, it's what Jesus told us to do. <laughs> so I think I, I, I take that passage a couple times, Jesus says it, where he says, you know, unless you um, become like a child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so, you know, starting in children's ministry is, I think, as an advocate for, for children, realizing that I think, you know, as a children's pastor, I often felt like it was my job to babysit people's children uh, while the real spiritual stuff was happening upstairs, literally. And it bugged me, and I didn't really have words for it. And as I just kept um, growing and shaping and kind of being immersed into the narrative of the scriptures, and I t- taking that the words of Jesus literally, I, I, I thought, well, it, well, yeah, exactly. So like this, this world that we're all living in, this, this spiritual world is not one that we can possess or hold or grab. That we, we, you know, we're, we're meeting in a church building. Um, that's great. It's tangible. All of it is, is a function of our imagination, our, our, our inner world, the, like the spiritual life. Like I, it is a beautiful thing to walk into a, a Presbyterian church, and I, I'll, I'll admit this shamefully, I've never actually witnessed an infant baptism before. I grew up in the Pentecostal tradition, and um, I, I have not spent a lot of time in the Presbyterian church, but I've, I've, and I know that I'm a brother, and a, 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 your brothers and sisters, we're family, and we're family under God, and this this new thing is happening. This inbreaking kingdom is happening uh, because of Christ, but it requires uh, what I, I I think in terms of like kids speak, you know, imagination, play, and story. It, it requires our imaginations, not in make believe or that's not true or it's like um, made up. It, it requires us to see things that aren't there, to know things to be true that we can't actually know. Um, to, to see invi- the invisible world of the kingdom being made visible in our, in our daily lives. And that takes playfulness. It takes like, collaboration. Like We can't do it on our own. It takes participation. It takes community. That's what community is, I believe, is, is collaborating together um, towards a shared vision, which is the vision of God's kingdom as family on earth. And the most accessible way to do that is through story. So it's, it's the narrative... Um, you know, this, this story in particular of Mark 4, Jesus had just finished these parables, which commentators, you know, suggest that a parable is more like a political cartoon. It's more like a deeply, you know, you take it for what it is. You could take it at face value or you can look right into it. And Jesus taught in stories and he taught in parables in this artistic way to invite everybody to participate in the interpretation of it and for everybody to wrestle through it and then wrestle through it in, in, in community. And so when I started doing this with, with kids, it's like, uh, if Jesus is saying literally you have to be like a child to enter the kingdom of God, what does that mean? Well, I, a lot of scholars would say, well, it means you have the simplicity of a child, or you, you think narrow-minded like a child, or you, you're blindly trusting of God the Father like a child. And it's like, well, I have a three-year-old. She doesn't, <laughs> doesn't blindly trust me. Um, there's relationship there, and all those things are, are great and true, but I really think... I believe Jesus is pointing at something a little much, much deeper, much more profound, that it, it requires childhood, the childhood or childlikeness um, to, to participate in this invisible world that is the kingdom of God. And when we do, incredible things happen, things that are supernatural, that are otherworldly, that, that really have no business happening, i.e. a congregational family. Like, 
The only reason we're here is because of Jesus. And yet you have, I know this just because I, I, I see it and witness that you have relationship with each other. Um, you, you help each other. You are generous with each other. You love each other. You're there at each other's bedsides when, when someone is dying. You're there when someone's sick. There's a beautiful thing that the church is uh, when it captures that kind of, I think, imaginative, playful, storying community that is, that is the life of Jesus. And we talk a lot about, um, you, we, we talked last week, you weren't here for the service, obviously, we, we focused a lot at faith, like building faith at home mm-hmm. and helping to equip parents and grandparents and, and those types of things to teach about, teach about Christ. But I think so many of us are intimidated sometimes at home. You know, we don't know enough. How do we actually spiritually guide? What does that look, whether you're a parent or a grandparent or a friend or you're single, it doesn't matter. Those people around you, you feel like you don't know enough to be able to teach it. Mm-hmm. What I love about your approach, and I just, I'd love you to walk through it and just how you think about it for a minute. Um, we can learn so much just by telling a story, just by getting out of our comfort zone. We, we saw it this morning, uh, you know, the first action, like never, you, know, you got one person, right? And then then a couple people get it. And, and I get this at home. I get the girls that are like, dress up in this and put this on. And I'm like... That adult part of me goes, I don't know. But the deeper we get immersed, the more we actually learn. How do you tell a story? When you put a story together for your kids, how can we go home and structure a story in a way that makes us feel confident, gets us out of that, that comfort zone, and teaches our kids something at the same time? Do you have like a, do you have a way that you approach that? I, I do. Um... I, I, call, I, I, of course, ask that knowing that you yeah, do. Yeah, I, I, I do. Yeah. Um, I call exegesis for kids. So if you're like, if you're, if you understand what that term means, like breaking apart the, the scriptures and like putting it back together um, and finding the nuances and all the rest and the, the Greek words and all the rest. Um, but I, what's beautiful about the narrative of the scriptures is that it's a narrative. Uh, Mark is probably one of the best storytellers of human history. Like the way Mark tells stories, the cadence and the flow and the way he, he, he structures story is remarkable. No pun. It is brilliant. He is a brilliant, brilliant storyteller. Luke is a brilliant storyteller. Matthew is a brilliant storyteller. John is a different kind of storyteller, but he's a brilliant storyteller. Um, you don't have to do anything. You could, it, you know, the, the best thing you could do is maybe just take the chapter and verse away from your, from your mind, like put it to the periphery and just tell the story. Um, the thing about uh, today is that a lot of this, the nuances of Mark's story is lost on us. We don't know what it's like to be around the lake. We don't know what it would be like to have Pharisees and kind of the social structures. Those things are kind of lost. The, the nuances of Mark's story are, are lost to us because we're just in a different 2,000 years later. But the narrative, it's, it's brilliant. It stays true. And Jesus comes out of it. Like he is alive in that story. And he, he just, and we meet him. I meet him every time I, I'm, I'm in his narrative. So you don't have to be a biblical scholar. I mean, you can read the story and inflect and slow and read it slowly with purpose and, um, and absorb it. And I think somewhere in the evangelical world, we, we lost the art of it for some reason. And we, we, we kind of go in, I think, as miners, and we're looking for some nugget, and we're looking for some truth, and we're, we're, we kind of push the narrative aside, we push the story aside to try to find that truth, 
And if we, if we find that truth, then we've, we've succeeded. And yet the narrative, the story is kind of all the rubble that's been blown apart to find that thing. And I, I feel very strongly that when we tell the story, we're not necessarily looking for the nugget. We're actually shaped by the story. We're shaped in the story. We're shaped through the story. We hear Jesus. We see Jesus. Um, we see how he's responded to. And honestly, every time I come back to Mark's gospel or John's gospel or, or any, of the, any of the biblical stories, there's just new levels and new layers. That, like, how did I miss that the first time? This is so dynamic and so compelling. Um, it's so remarkable that it's... Uh, you can start any time and it'll never, ever run dry. You'll never run out of inspiration. We've got a couple minutes here. Um, I just wanted to touch on this, this topic that you and I have talked about quite a bit, and it's this, this idea of co-creating, of mm -hmm. doing it together. I think sometimes adults feel like we need to have every answer to every story. We need to be able to fit the narrative together. Um, and I think this term of co-creating somewhere in the back of our minds means we're making up or changing the biblical narrative um, as opposed to maybe discovering it together. How can families do a good job of going through these Bible stories and not having one person, you know, like you led this, but we all participated. How do we do that better in our family units, no matter how old people are? Yeah, it's a good question because it's no, never what I think, oh, you go back and edit the narrative to make it fit. That's not what co-creation is. It's more as, as we are, I, I think generationally is something else that we've kind of lost in, within society, at least um, in large portions of our, our society is generational gathering, generational inputting, generational collaboration. Um, and I think it's having some pretty detrimental effects on our young people specifically. So like I, I need some of the best advice and wisdom that I got was reprimands from old women in my previous church. Like they would come into my office and they would kind of tear me one and it was hurt, it hurt, but it was really good. I need those people in my life. I, I, when I left my previous church, I, I, it was so sorrowful because I was leaving behind multiple sets of grandparents and multiple sets of aunts and uncles and, and cousins. And it's how it felt. It felt like I was leaving behind my family. And the idea of co-collaborating is that when we're sitting under the story, God is the author. He, he's the one inviting us to, to witness it, to participate in it. And as we kind of collectively sit under that and are shaped by it, we're shaped through the story, but we're shaped through our interactions. So we're, we're shaped through community. So when story becomes the central element, like Jesus, and he's telling parables, and he's telling parables in a way that, you know, the, the simplest person there can understand it, and the most, you know, complicated, you know, the PhD can get it. It's, a, it's, an, invi it's an invitation for everybody to participate. And then when everybody's participating, everybody gets to contribute um, to what happens next that some of the best ideas that I've ever had, some of the best questions I've ever been, been asked are from kids because they have profound minds. They, they have a, a different way of, of looking at the world. Some of the best wisdom that I've gotten is from older folks. You know, we all need each other. And I think, I don't know when or why um, we kind of stopped doing that as churches, but um, 
I, I don't do that. I don't like that anymore. So I don't, I don't, I don't do it. So I prefer, you know, I'm just going to tell a story and I'm going to treat everybody through the lens of childhood and through the lens of story. And we're all going to participate together. Uh, as I invite the worship team back up here to finish, uh, why don't you just talk a little bit about for a second um, about what you're doing right now and how you're trying to do that. Uh, we're not going to make this promo-y, but I, you're doing some very cool things through Chasing Lion. Um, the artwork that you saw this morning was uh, produced, drawn, photographed by Amos. Um, it's really incredible, some of the stuff that you're doing. Can we use you as a resource to help tell stories? You've got Story in a Box. Uh, you've got a couple of books that are really cool. Um, how can we leverage knowing that you're here to tell great stories and, and draw people to Jesus? That's a great question. Yeah. Uh, um, I am I'm trying to kind of get a curriculum off the ground that, that is narrative-based. It's, it's very mobile and light, um, and it is narrative. It's story-driven, and um, that's one project I'm trying to do. I'm also writing process books um, around grief and other, other things to help kids and families come together under stories. So there's lots of things I'm trying to get off the ground simultaneously, but the short answer, yes, of course, I would help anybody at any, any time. So anybody can just bother you and you'll tell them a story and teach them how. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay. You heard it here first. Okay. Uh, we're going to continue worshiping to end our service. Uh, can we just give Amos one more big thanks this morning?